The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. I'm back. Thank you so much, Kelly Alexander, for taking over and sitting in for me and and handling all uh, these uh, wonderful guests that we had throughout the week. I hope you enjoyed her. I know she did a stellar job, so thank you for holding down the fort for me. I just got back just a couple of hours ago, oh, and in the airplane, sitting next to two people coughing up a lung. So in the next few days, hopefully all those germs did not enter my body. Uh, Let's just uh, keep fingers crossed. I do not want to miss another night of passion here. And tonight, as it is Tuesday, I am going to answer your questions, and it's a good good time to get back into the saddle here for me, uh, because uh, lots of people sent in uh, their emails and their questions to me by email. But of course, you can always text in your questions at 514-800. If you want to talk to me, you can call me at 514-790-0800. And for those of you who prefer email, uh, feel free to laurie at drlaurie.com, or if it's easier for you to just remember the website, Dr. Lori.com. There's a contact sheet there and you can send in your questions right through, um, right through there. So let's begin. Here's a question by email. I was wondering if consuming between five to eight large cups of coffee in a 12 hour span, approximately four days a week, I'm a police officer, could have a negative effect on my penis's ability to maintain an erection. My penis is very small, almost one and a half inches flaccid and four inches erect, so it's not as if I'd need lots of blood to fill the organ. It's the first time I've heard it described like that. Uh, just side note here, it doesn't matter the size of it in its flaccid state, by the way. So four inches, maybe it's a little smaller than your average, but not certainly not anywhere near a very small penis. Uh, so I asked because I've recently, last year or so, been drinking more coffee and have noticed weaker erections. I need the caffeine to get through the shifts. So going off or lessening my intake isn't something I wish to try. So basically, have you heard of any relationship between caffeine consumption and ED? So that's a good question because, uh, you know, caffeine intake certainly has been studied uh, far and wide to look at its impact on many aspects of our health. But when it comes to sexuality, there, uh, the studies that I have read do not appear uh, to show that coffee, and it doesn't really show any amounts really, but any amount of coffee, it does not contribute to erectile dysfunction. In fact, quite the opposite There was a study done that showed that drinking two to three cups of coffee a day reduces the odds of developing erectile dysfunction. Part of that is because coffee uh, leads to relaxation of those little penile arteries and it actually increases penile blood flow. Now, I haven't seen studies that would split them up into, you know, three cups versus five cups versus 10 cups or anything like that. Uh, but no studies show a link between, um, erectile dysfunction and, um, 
and coffee drinking. Something else might be going on with you. I don't know how old you are. It could very well be that as you're, you are aging, that you are noticing you are having weaker erections. It, you could be, it, it could be fatigue from, you know, this kind of job on shift work and over time and all of that, that, that may be having an impact. You might want to just get a, um, just get like a, a, a full medical just to get your cholesterol checked and your blood pressure checked and all of that. I'd be more concerned about the coffee on your, uh, on your blood pressure maybe, or, you know, racing hard or something, some other physiological effect that then may do something to you. I'm not sure. Uh, a texter writes in, if I may suggest to replace a couple of cups of coffee with green tea. So that's an option too, because green tea has caffeine in it as well. And maybe it wouldn't be uh, as harmful. Uh, but again, you'd have to look at your overall health. We can't just pull out the sex part. It's, it's related to everything else that we do in our lives. I don't know how else you lead your life. So if you're not exercising, if you're sedentary, uh, if you're not eating well, uh, that also can impact your erectile uh, dysfunction. So there you go. Somebody else says, uh, I stopped drinking coffee and Coke and I noticed a stronger erection in about a week. So is that just the stopping of, of coffee and Coke? Did you increase your uh, better eating habits? Did you increase your uh, going to the, your exercising, for example? So that might be something um, as well. But there you go. You know, anecdotally, you have uh, somebody telling you that. So you, worth a try. Uh, Dr. Lori, my marriage has been on the rocks for about three years now. For whatever reason, we are still together. We do not fight or argue, but it seems we are just coexisting. Sex is nothing more than mutual pleasure that only lasts about 20 minutes. By the way, that's pretty much average for most couples. Um, I've not looked elsewhere for the attention I want, and he has told me he has not either. Do you think a three-month separation, no contact, will help? It was suggested by a mutual friend who claimed it worked for her. And then adds a little, has the passion poet disappeared? I love the poems and your show is fantastic. Thank you. Nope, passion poet's still around. Probably will get another poem today. Um, okay, you, you're talking about, obviously, three years, problem in the relationship, Nobody talks about it. I mean, this is something that needs to be aired out and needs to, you both need to talk about what is going on. What are your needs here? You can't just not talk, coexist, never bring up the topic and say, let's just separate uh, as a trial. It will lead to a complete separation if you don't address it. So when I see couples that, um, if I ever were to suggest a, like a trial separation, it's not, it's really a separation towards reconciliation is what I call it, where, um, if there's a lot of conflict, if it, things are really difficult at, at home, and this is something they both want, then separating, living in two different places, but continuing to go to therapy together, having a date night together, because you have to keep the lines of communication open. I mean, maybe this approach worked for your friend where they separated for three months, 
zero contact, but what about the rules during that zero contact? Anybody does what they want. Are you considered like free and single? Are you going to be dating or what are the rules? Like you have to be able to have a conversation. Is it just, well, we'll separate and hopefully I'll miss you. And, uh, and then, you know, we'll get back together. So what if one misses, the other one doesn't miss. And what if like, you have to have a plan in place. It's not just, we'll just separate temporarily and see what happens. I I like to have a, like a plan in place. What is our objective in this? If we separate, what is the objective and how do we make sure we get to that, that place? So having a therapist involved with you is a very good idea because you cannot like this, your problems aren't going to go away simply if you separate. You still have to address the problems that led to your marriage being on the rocks in the first place. You say you talk about nothing. Well, you these things have to come up. Like no fighting, no argument. What are the issues? I would want to know what the issues are and uh, work on them. Uh just Drew says, it reminds me of the episode of Friends when she says he cheated on her and he says, but we were on a break. Well, exactly. If you're on a break, what does a break actually mean, right? Two people had two very different ideas of what it meant to be on a break. All right. Uh, we'll get to some of your questions. We'll get to uh, a call here. Uh, a safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Trouble Tuesdays tonight. You can text in, you could call in, you can email me. Text at 514-800 or call at 514-790-0800. Jean-Pierre is on the line. Hi, Jean-Pierre. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. Good. What can I do for you? Well, I had a girlfriend, an on and off girlfriend for years. We did a bit time together and then uh, we, we split. But... Um, she had a problem. Okay. She had vagin what I what I call vaginism, which is a contraction of the the vagina. So you had trouble. You you couldn't um penetrate. you couldn't penetrate. Okay. I, I once I had a good orgasm years ago, but okay, I'm gonna uh, my phone is not very good, so I just want to know. And she had she lost her menstruations at 18 years old. What do you mean she lost her menstruations? Well, she stopped menstruating. Uh, so, I didn't know there. I didn't know her then. Okay. But she told me later. Well, that's strange. That that doesn't usually happen unless there's some medical condition. Well, or no, or no. anorexia. No, no, no. She no. She liked food, but uh, I could never penetrate her. Uh, wonder. I'm not sure fault? that I'm not sure the two are related, but uh, women with vaginismus, uh, and if you're asking like why does this happen, it can happen for various reasons. It's a psychological condition okay. uh, where it's like an involuntary contraction of the vaginal muscle. So this happens in um, women who have had uh, bad sexual experiences. It can happen in women who. Uh, yeah, she actually she when. 
Okay, I have to hang up. I'm sorry. Your phone is bad. Okay, so this, I guess there's a beeping coming in. So yes, so he Jean Pierre was saying that so she had um, a traumatic experience. So that is can be a cause of that because it leads to fear of sex. It leads to fear of pain. It leads to fear of not wanting to trigger that response or or trigger the 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 trauma. I've seen this in women who just have a fear of sex out of uh, negative messages uh, from sex, for example. I've also seen it in, I've seen women develop this due to painful sex. So another condition causing the vaginismus. So a painful condition, not related, like it could be an actual physical condition that is painful for the woman that then causes her to avoid sex and to uh, tense up. Basically, it's the tensing of the vaginal muscle, not allowing any kind of penetration. And women with vaginismus often cannot even tolerate a tampon or a finger or a gynecological uh, exam. So that's all, uh, that's all part of it. Uh, by text, um, Dr. Lori, I've noticed that you've often referred to ED, erectile dysfunction, for men who are older, 70 plus. It seems to me that men often who are approximately 45 plus seem to have this problem. Isn't it possible that men haven't been forthcoming until more recently. It's quite embarrassing for most men. And us as women are told to be understanding. And truthfully, we do not like it. Well, look, they don't like it. We don't, nobody likes it. Nobody likes to feel that way. A lot of women feel um, like it's them. So they question themselves. Like, is it me? Is Are you not attracted to me? When in fact, it could be something physical. Now, men age... Uh, at different times, sexually speaking, I have seen um, difficulties with erection in 40-year-olds, 45-year-olds, 50-year-olds, not just 70-plus-year-olds, but to me, they're an indicator of something. So if, if somebody comes to see me and says, I have regular erectile dysfunction, meaning that it's something that is consistently happening then that to me is an indicator that I need to look at, is this something medical or is this something psychological? So the first thing is you have to rule out any medical condition. So it, it could be a sign. It can be a sign of some kind of uh, arterial blockage, venous blockage, something. So you would want to get your, uh, your blood pressure checked and your heart checked and your cholesterol checked. You'd want to get a full checkup to make sure there's nothing uh, serious going on elsewhere in your body. Oftentimes in younger men, like under 40, for example, I will see things that are more related to uh, performance anxiety, but that can get evaluated with a good assessment by someone who specializes in sexuality. This is what our job is, is to determine what is the cause. When we know the cause, it helps us to find uh, the best treatment for this. So it's not like everybody who comes in with an erectile dysfunction, I say, okay, go to the doctor and get yourself some Viagra or, or, or whatever. I still want to know what the cause is because you don't just treat the symptom. You also want to get to uh, whatever it is that's, uh, that's causing it. Sometimes it's a relationship difficulty. Uh, sometimes it's in the person's, in the guy's head, um, like the, the, the worry or the anxiety or something else is happening in that guy's life. Maybe more stress, maybe, um, 
relationship difficulties, like I say, resentments or conflicts or, or what have you. And it's not just that we tell women, hey, you just need to be understanding. But uh, hopefully uh, men who experience this have an understanding partner who can be patient with them and who can look for a solution together. I get it. Some women are very frustrated because oftentimes the men just avoid sex altogether and don't take care of it. And that can be very frustrating. And of course that doesn't lead to great understanding. So if this is happening and this is happening in your relationship, make sure you bring up the topic. And as the partner of someone who may be avoiding sex because of erectile dysfunction, be able to say, look, I want us to have a a healthy sex life together. Let's fix this together. Let's figure out what we, uh, what we can do. So that's where I would go. And the other thing I would recommend too, if for people who are 50 plus is read the book I wrote about sex and aging, uh, called the sex Bible for people over 50, because it covers every aspect of aging and sexuality and what happens to us as, uh, we get older. So thank you for that. Uh, along the same lines here, what is the best way to manage performance anxiety? I'm in perfect shape with no health issues, I need to figure this out. I've been caught in a vicious cycle and can't seem to get out of it. So it has nothing to do with being in perfect shape and, and having health issues. This is all in somebody's head, the performance anxiety. So, and, and unfortunately it is a vicious cycle because every man will experience, um, uh, the, the inability to have an erection or loss of an erection at some point, or, or as long as it's not regular, we don't call it erectile dysfunction. If it's happening consistently, then yes. But for men with performance anxiety, they are usually men who are anxious, generally speaking. So we want to find out if you're anxious, how do we get to manage your, uh, your anxiety in general? What is, what is causing this? What are you fearful of? What are the messages? What's the, the, um, the story that's going on in your head? Because your thoughts are interfering with your ability to keep that erection because you're thinking right away. And why it becomes a vicious cycle is, will I get this erection? Will I get hard again? Oh my goodness. What if I, what if I don't uh, get that erection? What if I lose my erection? And then of course that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what ends up happening because once you're, you start having these thoughts, your body goes into a flight or fight response mode. And that's when you lose the, um, the erection. So I'd want to know, you can work with a therapist with this. I have so many clients that have this problem. It's like, it's such a common problem among men is trying to figure out what it is you are afraid of. And then oftentimes it's, it's very curable by the way, just want to let you know, but oftentimes when a, a guy gets into a relationship where they, where he feels safe, where he feels understood, where he can talk about his anxieties and, and feel like he can feel safe to be vulnerable, this goes away with that person. So usually happens at the beginning of new relationships often happens with, with women they like a lot. So the more they tend to like them, the more this is likely to happen because then it's like, oh boy, I better be good. What is she going to think of me? I want her to think of me, uh, you know, in, in a good way and I don't want to screw this up. And so this, that becomes the cycle. So 
talk, talk to somebody, talk to a, a therapist who specializes in this area to help you, um, to help you through that. A passion poet <laughs> wrote back, of course, welcome back, Dr. Lori, someone we all dearly missed at 10 p.m. on week- weeknights. You are at the top of the list. Hope you had a good time. Enjoyed your nice vacation. Hope you spread your verbal passion and they get, and they got a good sensation. Lots of problems in Montreal. Many couples in distress. Your advice is nothing short of priceless and help them with their mess. Well, thank you. Look how fast you come up with these, huh? Um... Texter wrote in, there's a new talk about the idea that the government should cover ED drugs. Clearly, there needs to be a criteria like nobody that drinks too much. Well, I don't know what the criteria should be, but I do believe that the government should cover erectile dysfunction drugs like they cover other drugs that um, help, that are in, improve people's quality of life. We're talking about something that is a, a very vital part of our being, which is our sexuality, and somebody who experiences erectile dysfunction who cannot um, afford these these drugs, and they're quite expensive, they're not so cheap, uh, can really uh, fall into a depression because of it. And then the government will have an even bigger problem dealing with uh, depression. So I, I do believe that it should be uh, covered, absolutely. So we'll see... We'll see what happens, and maybe it'll be covered under s- certain conditions, or maybe they'll need, you know, uh, well, you only need a doctor's note to confirm the diagnosis. Uh, I don't, I don't know what will happen, but we'll see. We'll see what uh, the government decides to do. Coming up, I, I got a question about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, candle, her vagina-smelling candle. <laughs> well, talk about. I don't know if you've seen news about this, but I think this all happened while I was away. But nonetheless, uh, I'll answer a, a question about that and uh, and any of your other questions on this Trouble Tuesdays after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Trouble Tuesdays, get your questions in. I'm happy to answer them. And I got one about Gwyneth Paltrow's candle. Anybody hear about this? Uh, what's up with that? And I have no idea what her vagina smells like. So truly, does anybody? How, how you know, how many? <laughs> like, really? So she has this candle. And by the way, making a ton of money, selling at $75. People are buying it, okay? Uh, the candle is called This Smells Like My Vagina. She calls it a funny, gorgeous, sexy, and beautifully unexpected scent with geranium, citrusy bergamot, and cedar absolutes juxtaposed with damask rose and ambrette seed. Does anybody's vagina smell anything like that? I really don't know. Anyway, this person wrote in, regarding her candle, in my past I've had quite a few women, but none of them smell anything like that. (laughs) Not that I'm complaining. But my question is, don't you think not only she advertised her products, she's also advertising about her vagina to the world? Hey, this is not the first time Gwyneth Paltrow has advertised her vagina, so to speak. Remember, she had this thing with these vaginal eggs, her jade egg, and 
rose quartz egg that, you know, claim to balance hormones, regulate menstrual cycles, improve bladder control. I mean, she's been sued for this stuff because none of it is medically true. None of it. So, you know, she has used her vagina uh, on a number of occasions already to to make a lot of money. And she has made a lot of money because... uh, you know, people uh, buy into this stuff. I, I don't know how. Like, people do your research. Like, look at the research. There was no nothing. No research backs up any of her claims, by the way, on, on those products that she offers. But now this candle that literally says on the candle, this smells like my vagina. You really want Gwyneth Paltrow's vaginal smell? Like, it makes no sense to me. But anyhow... Uh, I thought that was uh, funny. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Lori, I do not think you can be the expert on what a vagina may smell like. I'm not an expert on what a vagina smells like. Um, That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But have you smelled hers in particular? I've had the luxury of experiencing more than my share of vaginas. They all do not have the same scent, exactly, but are all very distinctive. Making a product that has the scent of a vagina? Hmm. My question is, whose vagina did she copy for the scent of her candles? Well, she claims it's her vagina's. Hers. I I don't know. Um, No idea. All right. Uh, When it comes to ED, this texter writes in, I'm 21 for the 39th time, so do the math, somewhere around 60. At 45, I started peaks and valleys with erectile dysfunction. I can go weeks with absolutely no problem, then have a week or two of not being able to sustain an erection. Speaking to other guys my age, it seems to be a norm. It is the norm. It's not consistent, but fatigue, if you have a bad night's sleep, if you are stressed at work, if you're overtired, if you had too much to drink like all of these things can affect um, your ability to maintain an erection as well okay here's a a question maybe and by the way feel free to like weigh in on any of these uh, topics it really helps I find that when other people give their advice or their what works for them or things that happen to them or similar things that happen to them we it builds like a community amongst us here passion listeners which I, I love actually uh, so Dr. Lori, sleeping not sex with my partner is still difficult he snores his breathing is heavy and I can still hear him even when I wear earplugs it doesn't necessarily wake me up but if I wake up to go pee the noise keeps me awake we're still a new couple one year I've recently started moving into a second bedroom or sofa if I can't fall back to sleep but it's not ideal don't you also think that something's wrong about growing up sleeping in our own bed only to move out and having to to share a bed with a partner sleeping alone is easier as a result p.s see you at bonaventure this weekend actually no you're talking about the taboo show the everything to do with sexual i will not be there this year so just letting you know that um so here's the thing it's so interesting because if you look at the um the surveys done on home builders there's i, I saw one study that showed that uh, one in four homes are of new constructions are being built with two master suites. So where each person can have a master bedroom. And I know some people balk at the idea of like, oh, you're, you're married, you're in a relationship, you should always sleep together in the same room. But if you're not getting a good night's sleep and 
correct me if I'm wrong, but when you get up and you can't get back to sleep, you're going to be very irritated at your partner who is keeping you up. That can't be good for a relationship either. So you can find a solution. Yes, you can move into a second bedroom. You can each have your bedroom, but you can, you must make sure that you spend time together in your room or his room, that you make dates to be together sexually because you don't want to lose that part, that intimacy. And there are couples who wouldn't dream of that, right? There are couples who sleep all snuggled up together. And then there are other couples who need their space. Like, I agree with you. You, you grow up sleeping alone all this time and then you you know, you've got to be in, in a, in a bed with another most part. It can be a wonderful experience, but for some people, and as we get older too, we might need a bit more space, but temperature differences. How many couples do you know that one likes it, the room really cold and the other one likes it really nice and toasty warm. So somebody is going to be compromising on their comfort in, in that respect. And when you're sleeping with a, a snoring partner, if the other person is kept up all night, they're not going to be a happy camper the next day or happy with you. And not that you did anything. To, it's not your fault. You're not, you don't realize you're snoring, but it's happening. So a couple of things here. First, I would check on the snoring because maybe your partner can be tested, get a sleep study, find out is your partner apneaing. So maybe getting an apnea machine uh, that might uh, that might help and get rid of and then you'll only have to deal with the maybe a little hum of the the, the, the machine that the noise makes or what have you. Um, so that might be something that your partner can do as well. And that, so the breathing will be not as heavy and you won't have that in your ear. Um, or just, you know, have a discussion about it and both be okay with it and you plan for in uh, together. Uh, let's see. I sleep on the couch for two years now because I snore. I lost the fight. <laughs> I feel there's a big sigh in there. Life as a man. Well, yeah, it's not always the, the man who snores. It can be the other partner who snores as well, but you've got to find, uh, compromises with this. Does anybody else like, maybe we should do a whole show on how to deal with a snoring partner, but I'd love for people to, to weigh in and what solution have you found partner, uh, that snores. Uh, <laughs> my sister's going to kill me for saying this, but I was in, I was away and I it was a, a fun sister vacation, but I have a sister who snores like crazy. And we were sleeping in the same bed and I didn't sleep like one whole night. I could not sleep because she was snoring. I, I literally got up in the middle of the night, took a blanket. And I was going to go out because the only other place I could have slept was on the balcony <laughs> And literally wanting to go there, and I and she woke up when she when I ripped the blankets away, and we started laughing because you know it's like I can't like I'm up. It's four o'clock in the morning. Can't sleep. It's so loud. Anyway, just a little story there, but um, it can be you know you, you wake up and you're it, it's like it creates anger and irritability. That's no fun. Uh, he's going for surgery, no apnea, his, he, his uvula will be cut. Well, there's so, okay. If it's not apnea, sometimes it can be some, some other issue with the uvula or something else going on in there. But a lot of surgeries are like surgery is a, a viable option that you should be, uh, exploring, especially when it's affecting also somebody else, or it can affect your health. If somebody has apnea, 
that can that can be very dangerous as well. So it's not the kind of thing that you want to just uh, uh, just ignore. So other questions, I, I do have a pile here of uh, of questions for you. I, I've got. Uh, of course, quite usual questions about one person wanting sex, the other person not. So I'll answer that. And whatever else you want to throw my way, 514-800 to text in your questions. Passion with Dr. Lori Batido on CJAD 800. Last few minutes to get your comments or questions in at 514-800. Then texter writes back, welcome back. Your absence, your absence accentuates your value. Frustration level was in the red range. I guess you were waiting for me to answer some questions. And then someone else wants to know about uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's my vagina smell, uh, my can, uh, candle that smells like my vagina. What is amber seed? So um, amber, I don't know what the what amber seed looks like, but amber has a bit of a musky smell to it. And it's actually a lovely smell. I, I don't know if any vaginas smell like that, but nonetheless. Another text Writes, I would not mind a candle that smells like Joaquin Phoenix's entire body. <laughs> Wouldn't know what that smelled like either. Uh, let's see. Uh, when you are with someone for a long time, sometimes we both become a piece of talking furniture. That's when it's time to rediscover each other. It can be as simple as just playing cards together or a nice long walk, but not TV or movies. Something that involves you both interacting with each other. Absolutely. I talk about this all the time in terms of reconnecting and spending a little bit of time every day together. Even playing a board game is fine. On the... Um, Topic of snoring. Uh, my partner finally bought a, a CPAP machine before his snoring kept me awake. Now I sleep like Darth Vader is breathing next to me. Oh, well, that's what I call my husband, Darth Vader, with his CPAP machine as well. And someone else wrote, um, does your sister know you told every, the world that she she snores? I said, oh, I didn't say which sister. <laughs> and this question, uh, which is interesting, and I'm going to turn it into a show on Thursday night. Have met a man who has a sexless relationship with his wife of almost 30 years in spite of having gone for counseling. We get along great sexually, but I know he may never leave his wife. So there's a couple of issues here, okay? Uh, I, too, was in a sexless relationship, but I left this long-term relationship for many reasons, sex only one of them. Do many people not leave in spite of no sex? I felt low self-esteem in my relationship, undesired and abandoned, and glad I left. Your thoughts. So um, this is a huge issue, the issue of sexless marriages. We're talking, there's a difference between a sexless marriage and loveless marriage. Oftentimes you can have love, but no sex. And I figure it's such a big topic that I'm going to save it for our relationship night on Thursday. And uh, we're going to talk about what is uh, a sexless marriage, what you can do about it, and how we and how we even get to that point. Um, so think about that. If any if anybody listening is 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 in that situation, maybe you can contribute to the show um, on uh, on Thursday night. Uh, let's see. My wife says sex is too much work. We have been married two years. Wow. I still want my wife, but now I feel really sick never having sex. Thank you for your time. I'm 61 and my wife is 59. So you married, obviously this is either a second marriage or what have you later in life. 
your wife is uh, postmenopausal at at 59 years old, so it could very well be that there's a hormonal impact here. And when she's saying too much work, I'm assuming that maybe she means that it takes too long to get aroused. So it's true that as you get older, and that's the same for men and women, the same thing, is that it could take longer to get to the same place as before. It just takes longer for the blood to flow, etc. So highly recommend if you want to, if to be less work, uh, use sex toys. Vibrators are a great uh, addition to your sex life because first of all, a vibrator gives, uh, can, you know, the, the vibration and what have you can work far more effectively than your mouth or your hands that may not work as well as they once did. And plus no human can be a match really for a vibrator in terms of intensity and the ability to go for a long time that way. But a lot of women who get, as they age, find that this is a really good uh, addition and and really is uh, quite helpful. So that's something that you should definitely look into. And I'm also going to recommend, I know it's a shameless plug of my book, but as you are 61 and your wife is 59, The Sex Bible for People Over 50, it has all the recommendations in there and talks about the different kinds of sex toys, a whole chapter on that and what may be going on. And it's a good way to bring up the conversation uh, with her as well. So that would be something that you, you know, you could talk about together and you can read together. Uh, this one was on my text board when I got here, so I'm not sure if it was addressed by any of my guests that were with Kelly Alexander this week, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address it anyway, just in case. I don't want anybody not getting an answer. Uh, I'm in my 30s, and my girlfriend is in her 20s. I find that I, I have an extremely high sex drive. However, she seems to be very low. Uh, example, she tries to hold a conversation during sex, or when I ask her why she does not like oral and says uh, she does, but has not. I'm not clear about that. She feels and says that I'm an addict. Any suggestions or tips? So unfortunately, I you know I, I don't like when people jump to that conclusion when just because somebody has a high sex drive that they are an addict. Like that that is not the definition of somebody who is compulsive about their sexuality or has lost that kind of control. You can have a high sex drive and it may be much higher than your partner's, but that does not make you an addict. Now you have to understand that some people have a lower baseline of, uh, of, of sexual desire, basically. So I think it's important that the two of you talk about this. If she's in her twenties, early twenties, maybe she doesn't have as much experience in terms of knowing what she likes, doesn't like, you know, she says she doesn't like oral. She doesn't like receiving oral. She doesn't like giving oral. Uh, sometimes you, you know, being able to have uh, open, honest conversations about sexuality gets you to a better place sexually and where you know you you can talk about what her needs are what your needs are etc uh, oh my god sex too much work does this guy have a, a circus fetish expect her to jump through hoops just ask her to lay back relax and don't move for a few minutes actually he was saying that she felt it was too much work but, but the way I took that 
from a woman saying it's too much work, I really believe it's like it takes too long and just to feel maybe aroused. I don't think he expects her to jump through hoops. I think it's more of what are her expectations of what it should be. But couples shouldn't lose sight, even as they get older, like sexuality does not have to be about intercourse. It doesn't have to be about orgasm. It has to be about intimacy and closeness. And even if you're just making out, even if you're just uh, caressing and uh, naked hugging and all of that, you're releasing hormones that are very important. You're still releasing oxytocin, which are bonding hormones. So it doesn't have to be about either the erection or the penetration or the orgasm or any of that stuff. Um, it's all part of the, the, uh, all of these things are part of what makes up sexuality. And as we get older, we start to ex- expand the definition of what sex is it because when we're younger we think sex we think intercourse but no it we have to look at far more than that because we have to look at everything that connects us physically and it doesn't have to be uh, just about intercourse 514-800 is the uh, text line of course we're just about running out of time um but I want you to feel free to send me anytime. Send me your emails. If you have questions, send them to me by email and I will get to them. At the beginning of every show, I do answer questions. So just send them to me, Lori at drlaurie.com. That's L-A-U-R-I-E at D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E.com. And I will be very happy to, uh, to answer them for you. I want to thank our technical producer, Dave Simon, tonight, and I want to thank all of you for uh, sending in your texts. I missed you. I really, that our separation, our little one-week separation really made me uh, miss you and, and miss this. So I'm, I'm happy, very happy uh, to be back. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Betito, B-E-T-I-T-O as I spell my last name, or through the website, drlori.com. And all my podcasts are there. So all the past shows, anything you might have missed or any topics that you want to re-listen or have a friend listen or somebody who can connect to that, then uh, feel free to download them. They're there for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's nice. So coming up next on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. I want to wish you a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. Mm-hmm.